Hi, everyone. Welcome to the I Don't Know Show with Joe. I'm Joe, and I don't know much about real estate, but my guest Brad does. Brad, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me on. So, Brad, what is your experience in real estate? Well, I'm a real estate agent in South Florida, uh, and I also work for a real estate tech startup. So I have experience in real estate, both directly with, with individual consumers and as well as like the larger market. Wow. How long have you been a real estate agent for? I didn't even know that. Yeah, I've been a real estate agent for about um, probably coming up on two years, actually. Wow. So what got you into that? Was it the experience of you buying a house and then you got into it or like what was the origins? So it was actually it was related to that. I was in South Florida looking to buy a house. This is, yeah, I guess it would be sometime in, you know, early 2021 or so. And I was working with an agent um, and I was kind of seeing what they were doing and they were helpful because I didn't really know what I was doing at first. But we went under contract with a house after a long search and after due to a number of complicated factors uh, the deal ended up falling apart. And I kind of toward the end of especially as I was trying to salvage the deal. I I really got involved with everything the realtor was doing and de- dealing with the with the lawyer because there was a there was a legal issue involved and it was a, it was a lot of work um, that I ended up getting involved in and after going through that experience now that that purchase ended up falling through uh, but after that I was like you know what I I can kind of do all this stuff I don't need a realtor to do this. Now I could buy, I could always buy property uh, on my own uh, without a realtor, but it's a little tricky to do that. It's doable, but it's not really uh, the best experience. So I figured, you know what, I'm a smart guy. Why don't I just try to get my real estate license? And I spent a little time uh, taking the course and getting the licensure. And I started practicing about two years ago and ended up my very first purchase. My very first transaction was buying my first home. That's amazing. Uh, yep, that's how I got into it. So is is like the the primary benefit of having that uh, real estate license, having access to the listings, is that uh, like, do you have a benefit there being able to see everything? Because I feel like that's like something the agents keep on lock sometime. And that's like something that um, because like, you know, no one really needs flight agents like, like travel agents anymore because everything's on the Internet. But real estate yep. agents are still needed because it's it's not easy to find things on the internet as far as far as real estate. Yeah, well, yes and no. Uh, Zillow and many other services like that do a pretty good job at helping you find everything. Uh, and I think that what a, a real estate agent does. So just to give people, a lot of people don't don't quite understand how 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 people find things and what act, what actually like what is a real estate agent what is a realtor what is a broker people tend to use the terms interchangeably it does vary by state so i'm going to tell you about south about florida and it might be slightly different in new york or california or texas or whatever other state you're in but just to kind of give an overview in florida though there are two kinds of agents there's a real estate agent or a sales agent um, and then there's a real estate broker and those are the two legal in terms of when you're getting your your licensing but through the state you're either called um, you either call an agent or you're called a broker mm-hmm. a realtor or you, somebody who uses the, the name a realtor is somebody who's a member of the National Association of Realtors it's not a legal it, it's not a legal term although it is copyrighted by the mm-hmm. by the National Association of Realtors um, but it really serves as like, and it's more of like an organ. It's a member of the organization. You don't have to be a member of the organization to have a real estate license in the state of Florida. And you, um, so your license is through the state as correct. far as being a broker or an agent. And if you want to be a member of the national organization of realtors, that's a national organization. Yes. Now, it is a national organization, the NAR. Uh, they do have regional chapters. I'm a member of the Miami uh, Realtor Association, which is a chapter of the National Association of Realtors. But you could be, I'd be I could be anywhere. If I lived somewhere else, I probably would join a local chapter and then I would still be a member 
of, of the association. And that idea of having this association is closely related to another term, which you may have heard of or may not, which is MLS. Have you ever heard of MLS? Maybe. What does it stand for? Uh, if I tell you, I don't think you would, you would uh, know it any better. It's the multiple listing service. Um, it sounds familiar. Like, uh, okay, but you, can you explain sure. it for it? Yeah, I'll give, con- Please. yeah, I'll give context with it. So back in the day, before the internet existed, um, the way people would publish, or the way people would, uh, let's say I'm, let's say I have a house and I want to sell it. How do I let people know that my house is for sale? Well, nowadays we can just look online, but like, how did it get there to start? Or especially back in the day when there wasn't an internet, how did people know exactly that? How did what somebody did people do before the internet at all? I know it's hard to, it's hard to imagine that time. <laughs> um, but they, so they would, so uh, the MLS or mobile listing service was really a service that each regional area had. Let's say Miami had one and New York has one. And I, there's, there's hundreds of MLSs throughout the country. They, they serve small regional areas and it's a listing service where if I'm an agent listing someone's house for sale, it will get published on the MLS and then any other agent in the network who has access to the MLS can see that this house is for sale and then they can let their clients know if that's what their clients are looking for. So obviously we're not in the pre-internet age, we're in the internet age, but the MLS still exists. And there's no one MLS, there's a network of MLSs. I think there's somewhere 100, 200, I forgot the number of MLSs throughout the country. And I'm only talking about residential real estate right now, commercial as a whole, uh, another ball game, um, but there's you know many many regional uh, MLS MLSs, mm-hmm. and as a member of the National Association of Realtors, you have that or really whatever chapter that you're part of, you get access to the MLS. Now, that said, so that said, that in that sense, I do have access to. That, I think that's what I was referencing about yeah, having access. People think that I have access to it. It's that's that's what they're referring to that i i because i'm a member and i can only be a member if i'm a license if i have, I have a license mm-hmm. um, because i'm a member i have access to mls and therefore i can see listings through their service and it's kind of like a member only uh, and that's what you're referring to now that said there are many tech companies zillow is the most famous mm-hmm. one but there's you know probably hundreds of tech companies that pay the mls's mm-hmm. uh, whatever fees that they pay them and they and then the MLS gives them access to the data and mm-hmm. then they publish it. And so very often Zillow will have everything that MLS has. Ah. I think I don't want to say it for everywhere, but let's say Zillow or uh, my company's House Canary. So we also have uh, access to uh, almost all the MLSs in the country uh, and we're able to publish to 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 feed, you know, to uh, receive and then use and publish uh, MLS information. Okay. So I didn't realize that. So everything on the MLS is on these websites. Uh, yeah, not everything on MLS. There are certain restrictions for like, you can't publish certain parts of certain data in the MLS. Mm-hmm. But most of it, most of it is available. Gotcha. And so what is house canary? What do you guys do? So house canary does a number of things. House canary. Uh, we have a, a um, a division of house canary called come home come home.com um and that is uh very similar to zillow uh but we specifically work with uh lenders so let's say chase is one of our biggest clients mm-hmm. so chase is trying to get people to buy new, new properties uh or chase is not trying to get properties, but chase is in the business of giving mortgages mm-hmm. and they know that their users might want to buy a new house so they have a whole uh, a whole team and a whole app within their within the website and within their 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 mobile app called Chase My Home and a whole, a whole product. And as part of the product, they want to be able to show you houses that uh, that that are on the, are on MLS and are available. And we built a a UI a, a user interface for for the Chase mobile app as well as for the Chase website, um, so that. And we have access to all the data, and so kind of it's kind of like a Chase is our customer, but the end user is really the people who use the Chase app or the Chase website. And same thing with a number of other lenders. So that's like one example that my company does. We also do uh, 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 AVMs. AVMs means uh, it stands for automation, automated valuation modeling. Mm-hmm. 
most people, when they hear that, it, they think, or if they, the, a good way of of making people understand what it is is, is estimate. I was about to ask that. Yeah. Pillows, <laughs> yep, uh, AVM. Um, and what an AVM attempts to do is what every real estate agent uh, should know how to do already, at least in their area, is try to figure out the market value of a home. Mm -hmm. uh, the value of using an AVM is that you try to do that on a you know, much larger scale than any agent can do because an agent can really only know their market like i can't i can't know what's happening in texas or in arizona or you know other places like that i know my area i know my neighborhood what prices are and what a price should be what is a market price uh an avm tries to automate the the process and do it at scale mm -hmm. and some are good and some are not uh, as an agent i know a lot of agents think that zillow's estimate is not really good mm -hmm. but others are you know better and better is always hard to define exactly what does it mean to be a good AVM. And is your but anyway, AVM the pretty accurate? Does is that we have an AVM. I'm sorry? Is your AVM pretty accurate? Are, are, I think so. Are you responsible <laughs> for making it more accurate? Is that like what you're working on? I am on not. I, I am not that smart to be able to uh, make the AVM more accurate. We have a dedicated research team in San Antonio who, who sits there crunching all the numbers mm -hmm going through all sorts of regression models and figuring out exactly who, uh, you know, where the prices are going, what factors are influencing the prices. And there's so many factors, both large, like macroeconomic factors, like, like interest rates is a very mm -hmm. obvious one. Mm -hmm. um, and, but then there's also like more regional stuff that happen and certain tr neighborhood trends and movements and demographics. And there's, there's so much, that goes into trying to figure out and in the property itself, property condition, you know, some properties are uh, two houses might, might be in the exact same spot in the exact same neighborhood. One is gorgeous, recently redone. It's brand new, everything. And one is, hasn't been kept up in 50 mm -hmm. years. The roof has holes in it. Like, obviously there's not gonna be the same price, but how do you quantify the difference? How do you know how much that is so that if I'm sitting here in, you know, in Florida and I'm, looking to buy a rental prop investment property or if i'm looking to move to texas um or, or anywhere really if i'm trying to advise somebody how I, I would be able to tell them how much that costs or how much its market value mm -hmm. is and so uh i guess on, on on what you said does the does the interest rate impact the the mortgage rate or the actual value of of the of the house um directly the mortgage rate indirectly the value of the house so one thing that's really important to think about is how are people buying homes now most people and i say most because in terms of numbers of people buying in, in, in the population can't afford to buy a house paying all in cash it's just out of if you look at the average american american salary house like household income savings and then the cost of a home almost you know very few people can afford to buy in cash some people could what about the average chinese case, billionaire i'm sorry so the, how about the average chinese billionaire <laughs> well yeah they're probably paying in cash although they're pretty good at leveraging uh um, um debt as well so <laughs> it's uh i don't know specifically about the chinese billionaires but <laughs> I, was, I, will I didn't mean to throw people. us off <laughs> <laughs> wealthy people are can be quite adept at using uh at using financing, meaning mm -hmm. debt finance, just same thing as taking a loan uh, to to leverage into a larger portfolio in which in their head, it's going to then uh, bring a good rate of return for on their investment. But to focus on the, you know, your average family, your average millennial who's settling down now, your average uh, middle-aged couple who's looking to downsize because their kids are out of the house, um, most people who are like that, maybe not the older generation because they may have accumulated wealth already, but especially the younger generation who doesn't necessarily come from means, they're, they're going to take a loan out to pay for the house because they can't afford a house on, uh, you know, out of their savings. So to answer your original question, the interest rates affect the loans, but even a cash buyer is affected by the interest rates because if the interest rate is low, there are many buyers out there who can afford the monthly payments. So 
the price will rise. Mm -hmm. If there are buyers out there who are financing, well, now the cash buyers actually are at an advantage because uh, they're not affected by the rate change. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Very interesting. So this is fascinating. So uh, can, can you maybe walk us through the entire process of buying a house like from the beginning? Like where would you start? Yeah, that's actually I, what I find. And, you know, my friend's group is a lot of us, you know, the let's say 25 to 40, 45, like that age range. The, you know, basically what is now the millennial generation is starting to go through. Some have already, some are just doing it for the first time. And it's quite a daunting process. I'm helping a friend of mine. I just showed him some houses today. Uh, this is his first purchase. He's in his mid thirties. It's his, his first time buying a home. And it's, it's a lot, it's a lot and it's overwhelming. And it's, it's just people, it's look, it's the biggest purchase of your life for most people. Mm -hmm. So, and it's where you live, it's your home, it's everything. So it, it's, it's a lot to go through. And what I like to do is kind of help people break it down and understand like, okay, what are the steps? And this way it makes it a little more um, doable and less overwhelming. So you start out by first of all figuring out how much can you afford and what areas do you want this is all you can, this is you gather data what is your income what is your assets uh, do you have debt already that you know will be factored into how much your your monthly payments are because you do, do need to think about how much you can afford every um yeah, every month on your on your loan um do where do you want to live how how much space do you want? Do you, what kind of neighborhood do you want to live in? Do you want to live in you know, the city? Do you want to live in the suburbs? Do you want to live out in a rural area? A lot, all those basic questions, which, which to that most people, you know, have thought about a little bit, maybe not so much the financing part of it, but just to start thinking about that, what areas, what neighborhoods, all that kind of stuff. By the time you kind of figured that out, and it's really important, especially to, with the financing, to get that figured out early before starting to look, because that will tell you what price range you're able to afford. So what how did you figure you out do, where you where you wanted to live? Like what were some factors? I mean, for I, me, I, yeah, yeah. Um, for me personally, I was looking for, um, well, I, w I had been living in a city for, for many years and I was looking for something that was- New York City. In what was that? New York City. Yes, yes, I was living in New York City, but I wanted something that wasn't in the middle of the city. Uh, I wanted a little quieter. Also, it was during COVID, and a lot of cities had all sorts of restrictions, and I, I wanted to be a, feel like I could, you know, walk outside my door. And I don't have to necessarily feel that I'm surrounded by, by uh, a pandemic by just sitting in my backyard. So yeah. that kind of thing. I mean, that was obviously that was a time that was a, a snapshot in time in the in you know, 2020, 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, that was a factor. Uh, so I wanted warm weather, you know, South Florida made sense. I was working for a New York based company. So I wanted to keep my hour, my, my time zone the mm -hmm. same. So uh, I wanted to live near a Jewish community. So those are a number of factors, which I took, I personally took into consideration when looking, when choosing an area uh, and then specifically a neighborhood um, there was a number of factors. I had family in this neighborhood, mm -hmm. so that was a, a factor for me. So you're already um, familiar with the neighborhood, somewhat. I wasn't. I wasn't um, early on. I had to like learn about the neighborhood. Um, also, like there's different parts of the neighborhood. There's a pricier part. There's a less expensive part. There's even less expensive part. Uh, so I, I I knew what my budget was, and I said, okay, well, I can afford to live in this area. I can't afford to live in this area. And I could afford not to live in this area. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where that's, that's, that helped me decide which areas to look, you know, but I was still, I was looking at a number of different areas and some people don't really know, and they need to like, kind of go through that, like, like me kind of go through that process of trying different areas out, exploring this area, exploring that area. And some people know already, like I want to live three houses down from, from my sister or something like mm -hmm. that. And then, then they're really like geographically, bound to a very specific area and then they just have to hopefully be able to afford it but the, you know the, they don't have to make too many decisions on in terms of where they're living and so you spent some time renting right in south florida while you're doing all this exploring 
I did, I did. So actually what I did was when I first moved, um, I I didn't even do a full rental. I, I did like a series of Airbnbs throughout mm-hmm. South Florida because I wanted to, I pretty much went from north to south. I started up um, in in um, in Delray Beach mm-hmm. and I, moved, I was spent some time in Boca Raton mm-hmm. and then I spent some time uh, in Aventura mm-hmm. and in, in Brickell. And like, I, I really wanted to, see the different areas and get a feel for because I had never lived in South Florida. So right. it, this was very new to me. And I'd only visited Miami Beach a number of times. But that was, you know, that's not really representative of what most of the rest of South Florida is like. Right. So it was a really interesting experience for me to do that. And then after about a, a few, maybe a few, how long was it? Maybe it was a month or two of doing that. Then I did a, a short term rental, a six month rental in Aventura. Uh, and lived there, and that, and that's kind of when I started my my home search. Mm-hmm. But that six months turned into almost twelve months, as as this whole like I told you, the first place fell through. I spent some time getting my license, then started looking again. So it was uh, it was about almost twelve months from when I started my rental until I finally closed on the house and moved into it. Gotcha, cool. And so what? So what's the next step? So you figured out where you want to live. You figured out the neighborhood and the, the part of the neighborhood. What comes next? Right. So the next step, once you really drill down to the neighborhood, you know your budget is... So one thing you want to do before you even get started in looking is to go to your financial institution or go to a, a mortgage broker or go to you know whoever and get a pre-approval letter, assuming you're going to be getting a mortgage, which... I would say most people are going to be. Um, and that pre-approval letter is basically them saying that we think that you, the buyer, are going to be able to be eligible for a mortgage. And the reason why that's important is because a lot of sellers won't consider, if you present an offer to, on a house, they, they want to see at least that you have the funds or at least that you have the means to getting the financing. Uh, they're going to require that. So just get that done early, get, have that ready. Those, they usually last for like three to six months before they expire and you need to re- re- renew it. So get that pre-approval letter. You're not, you're not required to get a loan at that point. You're not required to work with this lender at that point. It's just a letter saying that they reviewed some of your finances. Uh, it's a very preliminary review. They don't go in depth. They basically like some of them just ask you and then you tell them and then they give you that. Others are a little more strict. They want to see statements and stuff like that. But uh, but it's 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 uh, it's not it's at that point still pretty informal. And what's uh, what's a good rate these days? I'm sorry. What's a good rate these days? These days, these days is tough. Uh, back when I was looking, we it was under three was it was a good rate. Yeah, those are good um, times. Now, I, what I just looked today, it uh, depends on your credit score. Your credit score is a, a big factor, and also how much you're putting down is a, a factor. Um, I'm seeing rates, and also what kind of loan you get, which I can go through all that as well. Um, but the rates now, I think, like six and a half, Oof. I think, or six, you know, low sixes is a good rate, but more realistically, you'll probably get upper sixes or, or even sevens, Jeez. Uh, 7%. So it's it's definitely a lot more than what it was two years ago. But if you look historically, like in the, in the 80s, it was 18%. Wow. Things, you know, you really have to, but the prices were a lot lower. That, that is true. That is true. (laughs) So it's, it is not as easy. It's definitely not as easy to buy a house now. And that was kind of the intention of the fed raising the rate is because they didn't, they wanted to slow the market down to keep prices down because, because of the inflation that was happening or is happening. But yeah, it's it, it's definitely more expensive now to buy a house. Wow! So you get a pre-approval, they give you they give you a rate, <laughs> and then uh, and what's the next step? Next step is you start looking. So maybe you're working with a real estate agent. Let's say you're working with me. Uh, I'll start asking you those basic questions. Are you a, are you a buyer's looking. agent or or a selling agent or do you do both? I, I do both. I, I do both. Um, generally been i don't do it full time so it's it's uh tends to you know just kind of where wherever i get leads from um i've tend to like helping the buyers because it's often friends of mine or people people who i know who are moving 
uh, to the area and are interested in finding something, but it, it could be both. But I'm going to walk through the buyer's because we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're thinking about how to buy a house. Um, so I'll start by asking you some questions, just you know, what are you looking for? What's important to you? you know, there, there's a lot of different factors. And through that, once I go through that, and some people wanting more active, like they want to do a lot of the searching, and some people want me to send them listings. And you know, so that's kind of, it, it depends on your personality. I'll kind of do like a little, little interview. Uh, and I'll remind you also to get a pre-approval letter. I'll do all that kind of stuff. Uh, then we start looking at houses. So we start looking at what's available on the MLS. Um, you can look on Zillow and you'll see the same, pretty much the same stuff. Uh, and we'll start scheduling showings. Now, some sellers have open houses, in which case anyone can walk in and see it. Other times you need to schedule it. So I'll, use, I'll usually reach out to the seller agent, to the listing agent, and I'll say, hey, my client is interested in coming. When, when can they come? And we figure out a mutually convenient time for both the, the buyer and the seller. And, uh, and then we look at the house. And some people want to spend a lot of time looking through. Some people are like in and out. Some people want to do video tours of it. I'm sure you've, you've looked at houses before even or apartments for rental or anything like that. It's, that part of the process is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. The questions you ask me are different, though. Right. You are asking questions about like when was the the boiler replaced? Right. When was the the roof redone? Because as a as a renter, you don't care about that as much right. as a landlord's problem, but as an owner, it's your problem. Right. So these are questions you're gonna want to ask. So yeah. So can you can you tell us more of those types of questions? So the boiler, the roof. What what other things would you want to ask about? Um. So the uh, HVAC. So what it, here it's really just asking about the air conditioning mm-hmm. uh, but if you're in other parts of the country you want to know about the heating as well um you want to know about again this is about the roof but in south florida specifically you want questions you might ask is like um so in south florida which is unique to this part of the country as well as the gulf coast is you know hurricanes are mm-hmm. a big factor mm-hmm. so there's so you might have questions like you know how recent is well has the roof been redone um what what are the roof uh, roof wall connections and that's relevant for because it will affect your insurance. Uh, sometimes the owners won't know that or the agent won't know that, but you'll have an inspector later who would do it. But these are questions that I, I would want to have answered mm-hmm. uh, when I'm looking to buy a house. Um, the windows are they you know are are they regular glass windows? Here in South Florida, we a lot of the windows will either have some sort of hurricane protection or storm protection, so. It could be just paneling that you have to screw on. It could be uh, accordion shutters that kind of open and close to protect the window, or it could be you'll have um, impact glass, which is like a really thick kind of glass, mm-hmm. which is built to sustain, you know, high impact projectiles. If it was, you know, you were in a really, really bad hurricane and things were flying and hitting the windows, that they wouldn't break. Uh, so those are the kind of questions I would ask. Um, other questions might be like. The found if there's any issues with the foundation, uh, that's not such an issue here in South Florida, but in other parts of the country that that could be an issue. Um, I don't know. At this point, I'm just going off the top of my head, but um, yeah, the the plumbing mm-hmm. always a good idea to ask about plumbing, or or at least learn as much as you could about the plumbing. You don't want to have a, a suddenly your plumbing, you know, your sewer pipe breaks and you have a backup, and now you have to spend sixty thousand dollars ripping all the tiles apart and and retrenching and putting everything back in. Um, so there, there's a lot of these kind of questions, material questions about mm-hmm. the house that you want to know the answers to. Some you ask and they can tell you, and some you have to do your own research or hire your own inspector to find Yeah, out. I was going to say, when you ask these questions and they, they give you the answers, how do you verify that what they're telling you is accurate? So that's why you were to get an inspector. You don't get an inspector generally until you're under contract. Mm-hmm. and talk about more what that means but when you're doing the preliminary investigation you can ask them and usually if it's something which you know they just redid the roof they'll tell you mm-hmm. because they want right. you to know that right. you just redid the roof that's really you know the selling point of the house but if the roof is so another thing you can do is you can look on the permits if assuming they did it permitted uh every municipality will have some sort of permit website or a place you can look to see um what permits were pulled so i was just showing like a, a, like I mentioned before, I was sh- showing a friend of mine a house today, and we the, the agent 
the sell the other agent, the seller's agent, didn't know exactly when the roof was redone. And I looked on on the city's website and found the permit. And I was like, okay, it was done in 2010, so mm -hmm. the roof is 13 years old. Um, that can be done without having to send an inspector in or, or do anything visual like that. Right. Interesting. Okay, so you you found a house, you like it, you asked all these questions, um, you got answers that were satisfactory, or, or if not, you, you know that you're going in, you're gonna have to do some kind of work. What's the next step? The next step is you put in the offer. And well, first you just determine how much you wanna pay. And that's where it's really helpful to have an agent. Mm -hmm. because an agent can tell you what they think this house will sell, like what the market value of the house is. But everyone has their own factors that they wouldn't want to consider. So if you really want to be next to a certain, you, know, you want to be next to your synagogue or you want to be really close and you want to be in a very specific area, you may be willing to pay more right. than the market, than the, you know, the market value is because to you it's worth more. Or maybe you really like the layout or you really you know, you have to take into consideration that this fact that this house, there is a market value, which is for the average buyer and seller, but then there's also what it's worth to you. And there's also and, the asking price, right? Which can sometimes be above or below that market value. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And it's, it's, there's no, it's very hard. The exact market value is not really a number. It's not like you can, it's not like going into a store or like buying a stock where there's, you know, it's a very clear number. Every property is unique. Every property is a snowflake. Uh, and it, figuring out what that market value is is difficult. That's why the AVMs, you know, are set up. And but they, even them aren't, even they are not perfect because something may be very subjective. You might really, really like the shutters on this house and you'll pay more. You'll pay $10,000 more for it as a purchasing price because you want to have these gorgeous shutters. So things like that might be factors that you have to take into consideration when you're buying. But the baseline is figure out the market value, figure out any work that needs to get done and subtract that in your head about for how much you'd be willing to, to offer. Think about the pros of the place. Work with your agent. The agent's usually the one who, who will kind of be able to guide you, doesn't need major renovation. How much might that be? You might even want to bring a contractor in who can tell you, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this, it'll cost you $30,000 to do this and this or whatever it is. Um, and then you'll have to take that and then kind of come up with it with an offer. Uh, and how and does then, it work in terms of other people who are interested in the house? Do you have an opportunity to outbid them or, or like how, how to, if, if multiple people are making offers, what's the uh, coordination there? So that it, it, that's dependent on the, on the situation generally the agent the seller agent and the sellers and the and through their agent are going to try to get the to accept the highest offer so if they have one offer which is slightly lower than the offer they may reach out to the to the first person and say hey we've got an offer which is 5000 above yours are you willing to come up uh, and but there's other factors that a seller might take into consideration you know are are there contingencies on the offer like one, if one person's coming with a cash offer and there's no there's no financing contingency, and one person's coming with a financing contingency, they may be more inclined to accept the cash offer, or if or you know if they're or if they're skeptical about a a, a buyer's credit worthiness or something like that, where they think that if they're afraid the deal might fall through, so that's what a seller is thinking, and they so may from the seller's point of view, it it would make a difference whether they're buying in cash or or through a mortgage, because if they buy through a mortgage, isn't the bank buying it outright like so what difference would it make to the seller so it doesn't assuming everything goes well mm -hmm. but if you're if you're buying with a mortgage almost always though you don't have to when you when the buyer is putting in the offer they'll say that there's a financing contingency which means i'm committing to buy the, this house but i have a contingency if i can't get financing i can back out mm -hmm. gotcha and that usually is like 30 days or so that they have. So and as a cash seller, offer would be risk. more binding. There wouldn't be a contingency on it. They're Correct. saying, I'm willing to pay this in cash. If you accept my offer, I can't back out of it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So usually there is one of two contingencies, though there could be more. Um, usually there's going to be an inspection contingency um, and a financing contingency. Mm -hmm. uh, and both of those are would give the buyer an opportunity to back out if it doesn't meet 
whatever requirements or they don't they're not able to meet the requirements um now that said you as a buyer you can waive contingency so even if you plan to get it with a mortgage and this this actually was not uncommon in many markets uh, especially two years ago when it was a whole buying frenzy and there was a lot of multiple bids in the same property people are waiving contingencies which means that they're taking the risk that if the bank is only even if they're planning on getting a mortgage let's say the house is let's say they're offering six hundred thousand in the house but the bank's like sorry this house is only worth five hundred thousand so we're only willing to give you a a loan of four hundred thousand. Mm. They were they were committed to coming up with the difference to pay the difference to buy the house at that price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And same thing with uh, with inspection. You you give yourself let's say a seven day inspection window. Um, some people were willing to say, hey, even if the inspection, you know, I, I don't need to inspect it. I'll take it sight unseen, or at least without without having done a full inspection on it. So that's standard is to have contingencies. Uh, but the fewer contingencies, the happier the seller because right. they're more likely to sell the house without a buyer backing up. Makes sense. So you make an offer, and uh, what's the next step before the seller would accept the offer? Is there anything in, in between that we should know about? Not really. Sellers, usually you give a timeline, you give like a deadline for the seller, two days or something like that to respond. Uh, the seller will, you, will as a seller, the, what a seller would do is compare any existing offers, take a look at the buyer, the buyer's financing. So let's say they they were pre-approved, take a look at the pre-approval letter, maybe even call it the institute, the financial institution to verify that this is actually from them. Um, they really have to make a, a, their best guess about who's going to pay them the most, but also who's the most likely buyer to actually close on the house. Uh, so let's say if they get a a uh, a cash offer where they'll just ask for proof of funds so they might ask for a bank statement or some sort of proof of funds saying that they have the money that the buyer is promising to uh, uh to put up for the house but then at that point the seller might try to negotiate so very often as a buyer you'll you'll um you know let's say asking price 500 i'll give you 450 mm-hmm, the seller mm-hmm. might might counter and be like how about 475 or something right. like that so there's a there's a, a brief negotiation period that can be taking place but usually from the moment of the offer, it won't be more than a few days until there is a resolution, whether it's we come to an agreement or we don't. Gotcha. And let me know where along this process your first deal fell through. I don't know. I don't think we got there yet. Or did we? No, that, that was later. Coming later. But, okay. So what's yeah. the next step? I, I have had deals. Well, I wouldn't say it fell through at that point, but uh, I have had deals that, that didn't go forward at this point right. because either... Offer I didn't wasn't offer accepted enough, or my buyer didn't offer enough or uh or something like that so it's uh that that isn't that's that's where most of these things end is when mm-hmm. the buyer and the seller can't come to agreement on a price right okay so let's say they agree on a price um there was an offer there was a negotiation and then the the final offer was accepted what's the next step so in florida the next step would be the inspection as from the buyer's perspective. The next step is inspection. So the buyer will hire on their expense an inspector. They choose the inspector. Their agent can help them choose a a good one, but it's ultimately their choice. Uh, The inspector will go through the house. They'll look at everything. They'll open everything. They'll go in the attic. They'll go in. They'll look through the entire house, um, and then they'll generate a report, and they'll send it to the buyer, and it will say it's it's exhaustive mine was like i've had a few of these but they're like they're like 40 pages long or something like that and the first if you if you're a first-time homeowner and this first time you're seeing that you're you're going through this and you see you're going to be like oh my god this house is about to fall apart because they will anything it's a crack in the pavement they'll 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 report it there's a slight issue like there were so many things that that i i've I'm glad when I when I first went through this process and I had an agent, they kind of prepared and the agent kind of prepared me by saying like, there's gonna be a lot in here, but n- most of it is not really a big deal. And you kind of have to know like, okay, what is actually a big deal mm-hmm. and what isn't? So if there's a crack in, in in the pavement in my in my driveway, it's not a big deal. Sure, at some point I might want to fix it, but it's not gonna it's not a deal breaker. Right. But if um, you know in the house that I did buy, there was an issue with the roof and the roof had had potential leaking. Um, that is a big deal. 
or there was an issue, there was an electrical issue, and I couldn't even get. It, it was an it was an issue that if it wasn't fixed, I couldn't even get a, I couldn't get um, I couldn't get uh, uh, insurance, and if I can't get insurance, I can't get my mortgage approved. So, like those things are a big deal. And in those so, cases, instead of backing out, are you able to modify the the agreement? Yes, exactly. So that's called. So you could back out if it, it, it would, if you're still within the, fi- the financing. Uh, sorry, the inspection contingency period. Um, generally, though, you'll go back to or, or you or the agent or your agent will go back to the seller and say, "Look, these are the issues that we found." Um, and first thing you want to do is make a decision: Do you want to ask them to fix it, or do you want them to give you a credit? Uh, off the cost of the house, and then you'll fix it after you move in. Right. So in the house that I bought, there were two major issues. There was an electrical issue, and then there was a roof issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the electrical issue, there's no way I would even be able to pass the inspection required to get to get insurance. So mm-hmm. it it was it was a no brainer. It had to be that they would fix it at their gotcha. expense before before closing on the house. It wasn't a major electrical issue. Just mm-hmm. like the ball needed to be rewired or something like that. Um, the roof issue was something which I could get insurance, but the insurance company would require me to fix it. And I would rather do it that way and have the seller give me a credit. And I want to choose the person who I because. You know, the seller is not motivated right. to ha- do a good job. They're right. just motivated to get the job done. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather it to be a credit for me. I'll take care of it. I'll make sure that I'm happy with the roofer. I think it's a re- reputable roofer who will do a good job. Uh, but some buyers. Do you talk to, to the roofer first to get a, a price estimate for the credit? What was that? Do you talk to a roofer first to get a price estimate for the credit? Uh, like, yes, actually. So the. The inspectors will generally they're they're not experts they're kind of jack of all trades master of none. I was going to ask that. But yeah. they they they've been around the block enough that they'll give you well a good one will will tell you this is going to cost about you know two thousand dollars to fix or a range they'll give mm-hmm. you a range maybe uh, so you already can get a feel for it but as if you've been a homeowner or you're an, a good agent or you're working with a good agent you'll generally have a feel for like how much things costs in in this region this kind of thing and. And then you can negotiate. And at that point, once you finish your inspections, you go back to the seller and then you say, hey, these are the issues I have. Either we can come to an agreement about how to go forward with these things. Either it's a credit or you fix it first. Um, and if and the seller is not obligated to to accept. But if you don't, if the seller doesn't accept, then the buyer has entitled to back out. So the seller is generally motivated to accept or to at least work with the buyer and come to some sort of compromise of either giving a credit or, or doing repairs before the buyer moves in or before closing. And at that point, uh, that's, and that's another point for deals. I, I had a deal fall through uh, that at, the, at this point, at mm-hmm. the point of inspection because there were major issues with the roof. Was that the, and, the first house that you were gonna buy? Uh, we haven't gotten there yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this was another house. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, this is a different house that I was representing myself, and there were some some major um, issues with the roof that would be mm-hmm. very expensive to fix. And I wanted, I, I wanted credit for it because um, I think my insurance, until it was fixed, the insurance would be like double. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, but they were, they didn't want to give they didn't want to give the the credit. So I said, okay, I'm I'm walking away then. Gotcha. Yeah, I was gonna ask, um, are there uh, are are all of the inspectors uh, generalists? Are there times where you'd have to hire like a specialist type of inspector, depending on if you're in like certain areas or absolutely. I don't know near a swamp or near a beach or uh, so- absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are specialist inspectors, or they're generally when they get when they become specialists, it's just like a contractor who specializes mm-hmm. in that. So, it, let's say my roof, my inspector can take a look at the roof and give you a, a rough estimate, but if I had a real like, if I if I wanted to a better inspection of the roof, I would hire a roofer to actually look it over and give me an estimate. Um, I had I had like a separate inspector to look at the pipes, and who it was a plumber basically a plumber who's who, who also did inspections, and he was he put a scope through the pipes to like look at them make sure that the pipes were in good condition, because that's obviously a, a big issue. 
Um, and it's very common, somebody will have an inspection, see an issue, and then hire another inspector to, to come in like who's a specialist in that. So let's say that your first inspector goes through and then notices there's an issue with the foundation, you're then, you may want to then hire a structural engineer to come through and say, and to tell you like, is this something which can be mitigated for $2,000 or is it a $20,000 job? So it's not uncommon that there's, that you will then have to, I mean, it's at your expense, you as the buyer, it's at your expense, but you want to do your due diligence and it's not uncommon to have another inspector come in after the first one. Gotcha. I have a kind of a weird question. What yeah. if you're one of these people who believes in ghosts and you want to hire uh, somebody who specializes in like haunted places or something to inspect the house and see if there are any ghosts? First of all, have you ever heard of such a thing? <laughs> and second of I, all, would that would would they accept that within a contingency to back out of a deal if they claim that it's haunted? Would that fly? So I, I can speak for Florida and I can speak for the standard contract. Yes, that will fly. <laughs> you, you really don't need any sort of a you, you could say you don't like the smell of the place. You don't need to justify why you're backing out during the inspection period. Okay, uh, so you could back out for really any reason. It's not really I, any any reason. Yeah, the, the, it doesn't. It's need very loose a contingency. Much you can say. Yeah, you can say I don't like the way it looked anymore. I, I you know this color wasn't right. Yeah, you can say that I I think there's ghosts there. It's it's really <laughs> for the inspection period. And this is why sellers actually don't like a long inspection period because they're kind of held in limbo and the buyer can pretty much walk away whenever they want the seller has no choice and you stick with it how long is the standard inspection period um on the contract it's 15 days but i've noticed most sellers will request seven days gotcha so anywhere in that range and in fact during the pandemic when there was when the houses were selling the hotcakes I, I saw some that were three days and it's because a seller doesn't want to be locked up when, when once you're under contract the buyer still has opportunities to back out but the seller doesn't. Gotcha. Is that a good negotiating tactic to come in with a haunted specialist and ask, <laughs> ask for a few grand off? Uh, no, that's not, that's not <laughs> what I would recommend. I would, I would focus on the structural issues in this and look at that because unless you, yeah, yeah. But good luck with that. Um, all right. So, so, so what's the next step? So you, uh, the, the inspection went well, you, you, you know, you identified some things, you either got credit or you asked them to fix it or, or you decided it wasn't a big enough deal and, and you move forward. What's the, what's the next step? So the next step, assuming that you, do you already you... have a lawyer at this point? Like when does the lawyer come into the picture? So that depends on the state. Um, in Florida, it's a title company. You don't necessarily have to have a lawyer, but uh, the title company will often act as the lawyer. Uh, but that that will come a little later. Uh, the title company. So the next step really is is to get the the financing in order, as well as to do all the title research. And that's where the lawyer slash title company comes in. So the the role of the title company is to is both for you and for the lender, but is to make sure that the person who's selling you the house is the actual legal owner of the mm -hmm. house. It's not common, but it's not unheard of, of people to be selling a house that's not theirs. Uh, sometimes blatantly, and sometimes, you know, there was some sort of family thing mm -hmm. and one person thinks he owns it and right. the other sibling, whatever. So it's, or, you know, or maybe there was a sale a long time ago that that wasn't, whatever. There's, there's all sorts of things that could go wrong with the title. The, the title is who the actual owner of the house. Mm -hmm. So the, the job of the title company is to make sure that the person who is claiming to be the seller is actually the seller. Now you don't, as a buyer, you don't do that. You just hire a title company uh, and usually the agent or the, even the lender will work with you to arrange that, but that's something that happens. But as a buyer, the next the next major thing that you will be involved in is getting your financing set up. So up until this point, all you did was get a pre-approval. It's very, very minimal, not very invasive. They basically just ask you your income, they ask you your assets, and that's it. And then they, they issue you a letter. But at this point, now they have to actually do the underwriting. Underwriting is a process of approving the loan. Mm -hmm. And they have to go through a very 
like, so they're, they're really going to be looking into all your finances. They are going to want all your bank statements, you know, lot, a few months worth of bank statements. They want to know about your, your, whatever accounts that you're claiming to be able to support your financial position that you can afford to pay for this house. They're going to want, if you're, if you're a W2, they're going to want your pay stubs. Uh, they may want your, they probably want your tax returns. They're going to want to pull your credit. They're going to go through a rigorous process to make sure that they feel confident that you'll be able to pay your mortgage. And does your pre-approval help or do they basically start from the beginning? They start from the beginning. The pre-approval is just to get you foot in the door, but to actually get approved, you need to go through a much more rigorous process. It doesn't necessarily have to be with the same financial institution that did yeah, that did the pre-approval. It doesn't really matter. And very often people will apply for mortgages at several financial institutions in order to see who will get the better rate. So there's a number of things like that. And then one thing to think about, and this is something that people don't really think about so much, is what kind of loan are they getting? So there's a conventional mortgage, uh, there's an FHA loan, there's a VA loan, there, there's a number of different kinds of, and then of those that you can get it, how much are you putting down? How much um, are you doing a 30 year fixed rate? Are you doing uh, an adjustable rate mortgage? Are you doing a 15 year fixed? There's a lot of different types of loan products out there and different ways of getting financing. There's, there's government, pro like local government, state government programs that will help you pay for that, uh, that will contribute to the down payment or be a grant or something like that. There's a lot of things that go into that. A good agent and a good loan officer can help you walk through that stuff. And what's the most common? I, obviously, there's different circumstances. You'd want to do different things, but is like a is a thirty year fixed the most common type of mortgage? It depends. Uh, I think well, definitely two years ago, thirty year fixed was the way to go. Um, when rates go higher, more people will start looking into adjustable rate mm -hmm. because they have a lower interest rate at the beginning, but then it goes up after either five years or seven years or ten years. There's a number of different. Uh, ways of doing it. So if you think I'm not going to live in this house for more than seven years, I might want to go for an adjustable rate because my rate for the first seven years will be lower. And by the time they raise it in You're seven years, sell. I'll move already. Gotcha. I'll have sold. Exactly. Or, or refinance. Some people hope that the rates will come down. So they'll, they'll say, okay, I'll, I'll get this loan now. And then in five years, when the rates come down, I'll refinance. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, I feel like we could have a whole conversation on, on mortgages, but, but we don't have that much time. So what's the next step? <laughs> so the next step, and one thing I haven't mentioned here is that I haven't, I've been assuming that you're not in a condo association or, or an HOA or a mm -hmm. homeowner's association. If you are, that's another process, or buying a co-op, which is even more complex. Mm -hmm. But you, you also may have to get some sort of approval from the association and they're going to have their own process of interviewing you, um, seeing your financial documents as well, asking for character references. And, and also, and you, you as a buyer will have an opportunity if, if you're joining, let's say you're buying a condo and you're joining the condo association, you want to know the finances of the, of the condo. Because right. if the, you know, the con, like this has been a big issue in South Florida, especially after the tragedy that happened mm -hmm. uh, two years ago when there was a building collapse is that, the, there was another the, one recently, wasn't there? What was that? Wasn't there another building collapse recently somewhere in South Florida? So, I, th I thought I heard about something, but I could be mistaken. They, well, what they what I have heard about was they've evacuated a number of because oh. of serious structural issues. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't heard another collapse, but but either way, this is something which you want to know about how you know how have the finances of the condo association been kept. Are they, you know, do they have reserves? Reserves are like mm -hmm. kind of thing as you having, you know, a, a, an emergency fund to pay right. for a new roof. A condo association or, or a homeowner association, you want to see if they have reserves. Mm -hmm. uh, not just you want to see, the your your lender may want to see as well. So right. it's an opportunity for you also to assess. And actually, I mentioned two contingencies. Sometimes the third contingency is that, you know, you get HOA approval and right. so that you accept the what's going on in the HOA. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. And so that's kind of happening concurrently. I guess they're at multiple steps, right? They'll, they'll want to approve you at some point. And then when you're doing the finances, they'll, there is there like multiple steps of approval from that side of things? 
Um, so there, so, oh, there's another thing which I, I left out, which is not, so there's two parts of being approved for a loan. There's you being able to pay the loan. And then there's also the appraisal, which is that the home is worth the amount you're paying for, mm -hmm. for, because you could, let's say the market value of a home is 500,000, but I'm paying, but you're offering 700,000. The bank's going to say like, well, it's all cool that you want to pay more, but we are not going to give you a loan for that much because if you default on your loan and we have to take back the house and now sell it, we're going to lose money. Right, right. So, so the what the bank does is that they send down an appraiser, uh, or the lender, I should say, because it may not be a bank. Uh, they send down an appraiser, and the appraiser, the appraiser will look at the house. They'll take measurements. They'll look at the square footage. They'll they have they have a whole like a very rigid formula that they use to determine the what they think the what what they think the the market value of the house is and they'll report that back to the bank and at that point the bank will say or the lender i should say will say um if they if it when people say does the house appraise it means do they do they accept that the price of the house is what you're what you've agreed to pay for it mm -hmm. And that's another thing that could go wrong, is that if the if a house doesn't appraise, uh, then you need to decide what to do because the bank will only lend out up to or will will treat the value of the house up until whatever they appraise it for. If you offer to pay more, either you need to be able to pay the, the difference, or you'll have to back out as long as you're still within your 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 financing contingency period. Right, because that's the bank's collateral you know at, at any point if you stop paying they can take ownership of the house so that they correct makes sense um cool so so then uh so if you get you get appraised and you get approved by the bank and also by the hoa or the condo um what's the next step is that when you're under contract when does that happen Oh no! Under contract was when you original when when the buyer and seller originally Ex agreed, agreed on the price okay that's and a signed a contract. It's an intent to purchase. Gotcha. Uh, and that's that's when people say under contract. That's that's when they sign that and it's an intent to purchase. But there's still a lot that goes on after that. Right. I usually give um, you know somewhere between six weeks and two months, depending on whether uh, depending on the number of contingencies involved in in the purchase between when you go un under contract till when you close on mm -hmm. close on the house is what it sounds like. It means that you've actually signed the papers and the ownership of the house transfers from the, from the, from the seller to the buyer mm -hmm. or to the bank uh, <laughs> from the bank well, to the bank. Yeah. 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 With, with the bank having a lien on the house as well, or, or actually depending on the state in some States, the bank is actually the owner of the house and then you have a lien on it or in some cases it's reversed. Yeah, I mean, like if you haven't made your first payment yet, like I guess at some point you own more of it, but at the at the beginning the bank probably owns most of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. General, like the stand for the the typical uh, conventional mortgage is twenty percent down payment, which means you've paid twenty percent of the house. They own eighty percent of the right. house now. In in legal legally, let's say in Florida at least, you own the house. Mm -hmm but they have a lien on it in which they can exercise if you don't pay your mortgage. Uh, but, but yes, you can think, break it down simply as they own 80% of the house. Gotcha. Okay. So, all right. So how do we get to closing? Where are we now? They've, uh, you've got approved, you got appraised. So, yep. You've, you've done the inspection. You're, you're good with that. You've gotten approved for the loan. The house is appraised for the value that it's at. You've gotten, if necessary, you've gotten approval from the association uh, and now you're good to close. And now you just, and this is where the title company or the lawyer will usually step in there, or it's called the closing agent in Florida, uh, will step in. Usually it's all the same, the same person, um, will step in and will begin doing the actual, the actual, um, the, the, the legal process of, cause there's a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. There's who's getting paid what, uh, there's transferring the down payment into the escrow into the closing agent's account there's the bank transferring the money in and then and then the lawyer is the one who also decides okay so this money is going to be sent to uh the seller well before we get to send the money to the seller we have to deduct all the people that have to get paid out so 
the yeah the the lawyer will get paid out the 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 agents will get paid or the brokerages will get paid out um the the any if let's say the seller had an existing mortgage so that their mortgage has to get paid off so that 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 lender will get paid out um and then finally whatever's left over will go to the seller and then the buyer will get the the uh, title on the house and it's usually that's a very nerve-wracking day for me i remember like it was i, I still remember that day the like vividly exactly what i did where i was you know and there, there was a slight issue toward the end of the day and there was a chance it would have to get pushed out and i was just like praying that it was going to all work out and, and it did um and that's it and then the process is done it, it gets it, it the buyer's not involved in this but it does get sent to the county or to some sort of recording office a government recording office to have it recorded officially uh, but at that point, it's your house. Say, this is my house. <laughs> exactly. This it's your land. It's your house. Uh, it says um, here, and it says like you know, fee simple for to have and to hold forever. <laughs> the term, and it's kind of a, a really cool, amazing, scary feeling when uh, when now you own property and you own land. How does it feel? It feels good. It's it's just you know. As somebody who always rented my whole life, uh, find, to finally own property was just like, this is mine. This tree is mine. This this wall is mine. I mean, it's a big responsibility as well, but it's a, it's a good feeling. And, you know, it goes away and a lot of people on their second home, third home, you know, you just kind of get used to it. Uh, but for every first time home buyer, it's a very special experience. Wow. That's amazing. And wait, so where where in the process did it fall through the first time? Oh, for me, it was in the financing. Uh -huh. um, it was actually yeah. So i i was looking at a I was looking at a house on the beach that was. Um, it had a little, um, like an efficiency, I guess you can call it, in the back, and for that reason, the bank treated it as a duplex, mm -hmm. but. The, at least the lender that I had been using, which I will not be using that lender anymore. But at that point, the lender who the, the do you want to name lender, names or no? Yeah, uh, I'm not gonna say their name, okay. but uh, yeah, I'll tell you privately okay. <laughs> which one to avoid. Generally, I would. Well, I'm not even gonna say that. <laughs> Find a good lender, talk to your agent, and who they recommend, or friends and family who they recommend. But uh, there are definitely better lenders out there, and there are worse lenders out there. And this mm -hmm. lender dropped the ball, and they. They took way too long to get the approval in, and uh, and what happened was we didn't quite get the approval. They kept promising me that they'll get the approval, but the date had passed. the the let the the contingency date had passed, and this is actually where I feel that my agent back then could have done a better job mm -hmm. is to really explain to me very clearly that at this point I don't have an approval, and if they change their mind and then don't approve it. I still have to buy the house. I need to come up with the money to buy the house, um, which I don't think I quite realized at the time. Uh, and I, you know, I may have backed out at that point just to like protect myself from from having to being forced to go through this transaction and not necessarily having the money for it. But in any event, the the it ended up I ended up kind of ending out lucky because the uh, the lender then didn't approve it because they said it's a duplex, and since it's a duplex, the other uh, this the efficiency requires a kitchen, and there was no kitchen in the efficiency, uh, and so they would require it to first put it in a kitchen before they're willing to uh, to issue a loan on it. Mm -hmm. And there was no way the sellers were going to, but I, I couldn't close on it till the kitchen existed. So that means the seller would have to install a kitchen into that, and there was no way they were going to do that. But it was already too late. So wow. I don't think they knew that part though, but there's a, a clause and there's one, it's interesting, I've reread the Florida contract since, and there's only one opportunity for a seller to back out. And that is if the buyer does not inform the seller within three days of the mortgage contingency, the financing contingency period, uh, if they do not inform the seller that they either got approved or are willing to move forward without approval, mm -hmm. then the seller can back out. And I guess the seller had a, another buyer, mm. like and they, they wanted to sell. So they actually ended the contract. We threatened to to litigate with them, but 
one then I finally got the final rejection and I was like, okay, I'm not gonna start litigating with them and then in make them install a kitchen. Find a new lender. <laughs> it's not worth it. And I'm I'm glad I didn't. But uh wow. that, that was it was a really good experience for me because it taught going through their process, I learned so much about about the whole home buying process and I kind of fell in love with it. And that's actually why I ended up becoming an agent. Wow. Brad, this was fascinating. We're getting to the end of our time. Thank you again for joining me. Before you leave, what is one thing, if you had to choose one thing that you want me and all of our listeners to know about real estate? Find a place you love and buy it because you're going to regret, you're going to regret not buying it. Now I know. Thank you. <laughs>